Welcome to the Bishop and Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington. And joining me today are the Vickers who help uh, serve the local church, not only as pastors, but also assisting in various ways in the Diocese of Spokane, the Chancery. The Vickers are back. Father Darren Connell is the Vicar General and the Rector of Our Lady of Lord Cathedral, the Mother Church of the Diocese. It's nice to have a break. Thanks for your your missed. Father Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine's and the vicar of finance, and Father Pat Kirst, the pastor of St. Thomas More Parish, and also the vicar for priests. We have an ongoing topic, a series of reflections on the Mass that will be part of our programming for this uh, school year. Today we're going to speak on the Creed. I remember as a sixth grader we had to memorize the Nicene Creed, and each of us get up and stand in front of the class at Our Lady of the Visitation, and recite the creed. We, we recite did, the creed. We did that in the third grade at, at Mother, Mother Sorrows. Mother Sorrows Academy, right. yes. Mm-hmm. But you were also playing the accordion, uh, which the creed is not to be set to music, <laughs> at least now. But in any case, um, right that's Father Me. You kind of walked into that. Yes. Uh, so the creed. Little history. Uh, our executive producer, Hillary Hammond, has said that she was in a conversation and someone said, you know, I say that creed every week at Mass, but I don't believe half of it. Father me, how would you respond to that? I would say they don't understand half of it. Okay. And why is that? <laughs> well, first of all, let's put the creed in context. There's a number of creeds, but perhaps the one we're speaking about today is what's best known as the Nicene Creed. Is that, am I correct? That's what it's yes. known as. However, it's not really from Nicaea, but... From you, Nicaea and... Constantinople, but... But really, there's thought that even the, the fathers at Constantinople weren't familiar with the Nicene Creed. They were really pulling on an, another creed that was out there. That uh, Was it the Roman Creed, I think it was called? It was the Roman Creed. Yeah. Hmm. But um, They just happened to be pretty similar because they were expressing the same basic truths of the faith. So. so the creed, Nicene Creed that we call it, that came from the Council of Constantinople in 381 or whatever um, hybrid of that that is, uh, first realized they, they weren't the uh, council fathers of Nicaea or Constantinople weren't just addressing this out of a vacuum, true God of true God, light of light, and all of those things. But they were giving a response uh, to heresies, that is, to teachings of different uh, theologians that had come up, sprouted up, and had gained popularity in their time. They were responding to those. So there were a number of those heresies that uh, they were responding to. One very quick one, just to throw some names around, adoptionism. Hmm. Adoptionists believe that uh, Christ was not really divine. He, wasn't, he was adopted by God the Father uh, when the Spirit descended upon him at his baptism in the Jordan. So, of course, the church fathers at Constantinople said, well, no, this is not true, but Christ has always been divine, always been the Son of the Father. So there were about, I suppose you could say a number of heresies, but there's about six heresies that were important in coming to formulate the uh, the Nicene Creed as we have it. When was the Creed placed in the Mass? Obviously on Sunday Mass we recite, most of us, the Nicene Creed. I'm always... Uh, 
Every once in a while I get a letter from a concerned parishioner. They said they were at a Sunday Mass and the creed was left out. But in general, the Mrs. creed Vanelli, is— Mrs. Vanelli from Indicott, Washington. And um, <laughs> we, um, when, Father Me, from the historical point of view, from you being at the Council of Ephesus, would you—when <laughs> w- was the creed placed in the Mass? Well, it was, it was being used—I don't know—when being placed in the Mass, it's interesting. I think that you could say that— uh, it was already something that was to be recited by those or memorized by those um, and that were to be received into the church at the Easter Vigil, that were to be baptized. They were to have memorized that, and then they were to be able to uh, repeat that back, or they were to have reflected upon that and then have that committed to memory because it was something so sacred. It wasn't something you'd just go out on the streets and begin to recite it to just any uh, individual. But it was something that those that held the common faith, that Catholic faith, uh, would, um, that they would recite together. But it was something that was somewhat of a secret as well. Yeah, making its way into the Mass. And, and interestingly, it's, I think it's one of those few parts of the Mass which is really not a prayer. Rather, it's a statement of belief and statement of faith. And, but it seems uneven in terms of when it came into use during the Mass in different parts of the world. And, mm-hmm. and as Father Me was saying, I, initially I think it was mostly attached to the baptismal rite. To, the people made their profession of faith, and oftentimes in the form of, uh, of questions. So the aspects of the creed, do you believe in God the Father? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So, and then, uh, of course, as... Uh, Unfortunately, there are no extant, meaning still existing, versions of you know today's missal from the first and second century. That you know, written proof of this is of a, a version of the creed that was used is not around. But but church fathers made reference to those that they existed. Hippolytus mm-hmm. making reference to this old Roman creed or something. And obviously, we can even go back to the New Testament and say there's there are creed statements in the New Testament. What are these things we believe? Which uh, so uncommon, the Apostles' Creed that you can still use occasionally at Mass. Uh, it's a much older creed than the Nicene Creed. So one of the things that comes out in the Nicene Creed from the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople is it's much more Christological. So. That fourth century was a time of truly coming to a deeper reflection and understanding of who Christ is, the second person of the Trinity. I think historically just something of some interest is uh, one has to remember that the church was being persecuted all the way up to 311 when the Edict of Toleration came out. The Diocletian um, persecution came to an end at that point. The Edict of Milan was in 313, where all of a sudden the church had some um, legal status in the state. So only 12 years after that was the Council of Nicaea, 325. So all of a sudden uh, the church turned from uh, a time of persecution to a time of great reflection and uh, internal debate about coming to a deeper reflection again and understanding of who Christ our Savior is. I hope our audience knows, again, the the meaning of the word creed is simply, I believe. We made a shift in the uh, translation, I believe it was in the first Sunday of Advent when we had the new missal in Advent of 2011, when we went from we believe to I believe. Uh, your thoughts on, on that? Did, did people stumble in the parish uh, uh, about that? I still do. I, uh, I, I used to know the creed. Now I have to read it along. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, but obviously the, the theology and the statements of faith in that are not changed. Some of the words we use, consubstantial and incarnate and so forth, those are 
have more rich theological meaning than what was previously that. But but it was a struggle for myself and for other people to to make that get, shift. Get over saying we believe and getting and just at the diocesan assembly back in October. Uh, I actually gave a presentation on the creed and a wildly enthusiastic crowd of about eight or ten, you know, <laughs> bothered to come. And, and uh, There were it, only three at the foot of the cross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Faithful eight. Uh-huh. But, but within that, we were talking about making that transition from, from we to I and how that impacted uh, people's participation in the Mass. But I think for the most part now, seven years later, people have kind of caught on and got... I'm envious of these little kids that only know the I believe part, and they have no problem speaking from memorization. But uh. And that's what it always was. Credo itself simply means I believe in Latin. Um, and we can't, we can't profess a belief for someone else. We can only profess what we believe. And then, but saying that with one voice, or many voices becoming one in that, then, then it becomes um, the symbol or the image of we believing as one church. I think our listening audience would remember, of course, of the Easter vigil and in the Easter season, there is the option to, to use the question and answer format in place of the creed where we reaffirm the teachings uh, of, of our faith and what is important. Uh, in many ways, uh, our, again, I hope our audience, each of our listening audience and their families have, has a copy of the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Now, that's, as you know, broken up into four areas um, and as a way to us to appreciate our faith. But when we, we look at the creed in, in the Mass and we pray, t- typically there are people who, you know, we do that so often we perhaps lose the power. And I think the, the knowledge of why the creed came to be, as, as Father Me has spoken about and as Father Curse, is it was to deal with um, heresies and other areas that were affecting the belief of the Church, heresies that maybe resurface now under, under different uh, means. But they call into question uh, the divinity of Christ. I know there was some effort a while back where someone gave an interpretation basically saying that the miracles in Scripture really aren't miracles because Jesus isn't divine. Now, that factors into sometimes workshops and everything else, but a um, great description of what the um, role of tradition is, the church is. Tradition is not the worship of ashes. It's the preservation of fire. That was Gustav Müller, who I think might be related to some of our German farming community members here in eastern Washington. But when we renew our baptismal covenant every time we recite the creed, is that necessary, do you think? Well, I think, as you mentioned that, I just thought of a profound moment of conversion for me personally in terms of appreciation of the creed. Uh, Being a very precocious 15-year-old, by that stage, I'd probably advanced to about uh, development level of an eight or nine year old, but I was 15. And you were gifted, Pat. Don't yes, sell yourself and, short. And, <laughs> and I led a pretty sheltered childhood in terms of being in the Catholic world and not much exposure to life outside the Catholic world. And and at 15, a friend of mine invited me to go to this concert down at what used to be called the Opera House. Now it's the INB, right? In oh, Memphis, for now. In, in Memphis? No, 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 right, no. right here in, in beautiful oh, downtown Spokane. Opryland. So uh, Dolly Parton. It turns out this was a, a Christian concert. Too. Okay. Christian rock concert. And I'd mm-hmm. never been to such a thing. Never heard of the group. And went there and they did the concert. And then after the concert, some guy got up and did a little preaching and mm-hmm. said, if you uh, have been moved by this moment here at this concert and want to come up to the stage, you know, come up here. And, and a bunch of people were walking up there. And I asked my friend, what are these people doing? And he said, well, they're making an altar call. I said, well, mm. what's that? Well, they're going to go up and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and I just said, you know, I, I do that every single Sunday when I go to Mass. And I say, back then, we believe. And mm-hmm. 
And so that was when I kind of the light went on and said, oh, here's uh, what's happening in the creed at Mass as I'm making an altar call every single Sunday. Was that the stirrings of your priestly vocation? No, no, that didn't happen until I was 47. Oh, wait. 47. No, no, you're, you're, you're 55 now, Father <laughs> Kirsten. Right. Yeah. yeah, right. Now, Father Connell, when you, you, there was an altar call when you were at Our Lady of Sorrows and you stood up and sang, We're All Out of Love by Air Supply. I'm all out of love. You see, yeah. it's not, it, was, it was like Credo. It was yeah, yeah. first person singular. Okay. I'm all out of love. Yes. No, it's okay. not that's, enough. that's enough. Um, in any case, the creed, our young people, how do we uh, take this, this treasure of our faith and do, you, do, you, do people in the pews talk about this? Is it is an issue? Is it someone, as, as Hillary said, I don't believe half of it, and as Father Meese said, well, you don't understand half of it. Uh, do our people in our parish uh, raise questions about it? I know there was something when we changed the translation about consubstantial, some of that came, but it seems to be we are all praying this together and we see the need. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, I would do this, but I would recommend that Father Connell or Father Kirst do this. Here we go. That um, maybe one interesting way of approaching the creed in the Finger parish, puppets? If finger puppets <laughs> might work, yes. Hmm. Sounds quiz, like Gino. But um, the people, the, how, the, the understanding of the creed is you say, well, some of the terms like light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, well, what does any of that mean? And again, it would be going back and maybe giving a little presentation on why we use that, those terms. What is the heresy that that comes from? All right, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, I'm going to ask Father Me to expand on this. Uh, it might be very effective as we grow in our appreciation of the faith. back. This is Bishop Daly and the Vickers, Father Me, Father Kirst, and Father Connell. We're talking about the creed. Uh, we profess the creed during Sunday Mass. We pray the rosary. We use the Apostles' Creed. But what we're hearing sometimes in parishes that uh, people say this and they really don't understand it, but this is just what we do. Maybe uh, in the, our discussion, how might we help our parishioners um, appreciate why the creed is so significant to our faith. Father, I mean, you were saying it before the break about maybe taking some of the phrases in the creed, explaining them in light of what they were pl done to deal with heresies. Maybe a little bit more on that. Well, three quick examples. Uh, certainly one of the great heresies uh, of the fourth century was Arianism or semi-Arianism, which claimed that Christ was not divine or semi-Arian. He was divine, but simply not as divine as the Father. So one could go into a little bit about that. And then that whole statement that seems um, so esoteric, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, is all speaking to Arius and to the Arians. No, uh, Christ is divine, and he is of the same substance as the Father, therefore he is equal to the Father. Or another one, you had the Docetus, who believed that Christ, his physical being, was just an illusion. He really, uh, simply an illusion. He didn't suffer on the cross. So the whole statement of Christ being born of the Virgin Mary, suffering under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried, 
was in response to the Docetus. And finally, and I'm only throw this one in, it's not really Christological, but more of the Holy Spirit, but it's uh, the best name for any heresy, I think, and it's Pneumatomachianism. And pneumatomachianism. You've got a shirt that says that, right? There's Isn't that a taco a dip? Bumper. That, 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 serve, uh, no, it's a bumper sticker. Cinco de Mayo. It, it very well could be, and that, that will either put a sleeper congregation or wake them up when you say pneumatomachianism. Mm. <laughs> and what it refers to, it believe it did not believe in the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at the um, Nicene Creed again, you have that whole statement on, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. So I mean, so those statements that can seem so, well, what do they mean? I think in just taking a statement out of the creed and um, putting it back into the dialogue or the conversation or the debate that was going on at the time could be something of interest and maybe help people to understand well, more. I, and that's something that we as preachers, I think, uh, at Mass can do um, to incorporate it into our, our preaching. I know that when we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, the birth of the church, um, one of the things that I like to do periodically is to just talk about the, the four marks of the church that are in the creed, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and help people you know, have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the body of Christ uh, in the church, that we are we are one. We're not you know, 30,000 different uh, denominations that, that God intended for, you know, for there to be one church, that we'd be united. Um, that we'd be holy, which is a good message for us today, and that the church is holy, not because of us as human beings, because we are sinners, but because of the presence of the divine, that this is uh, a divine institution, and the presence of the Holy Spirit makes us holy. We are Catholic. Now, again, when this was written, there was, uh, I know, you know, there was only the Catholic Church, huh, as we know it uh, today, um, which means universal. The church is open for all people. Everyone is invited to be a part of of the family of, of Christ, uh, the church he founded, and then of course apostolic, which is the one mark of the church that Bishop Daly loves because it's our connection to um, the apostles as the, the foundation of, of our church. And as the bishop, I am a successor of the and, apostles. And you always remind us yes. of that. So. <laughs> which one? Uh, it would be Thomas. Yeah. Or mm, Peter. Probably. Yeah. Well, and obviously, as we've been saying, these statements of faith in the creed that we make Sunday after Sunday are foundational and they're fundamental, but that creed is not exhaustive. It, given that it's a response to some uh, heresies that might have arisen and, and perhaps some other reasons, uh, it is what it is now, but it does not include everything. Uh, so to, to state the creed is not to say that's the whole package of being Catholic, that there's a lot no. more beyond that. You know, Eucharist isn't mentioned in the, in the creed. Well, fundamental mm -hmm. for us is Eucharist. Morality, really not mentioned. This this coming Sunday, we'll be hearing at Mass the, the Jewish creed, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. Uh, and then after that comes, therefore, because of this belief, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So there are very real implications for how we live that are based upon our creedal statements. So uh, th those are just a couple of examples, but... Uh, not everything that we believe as Catholics is captured in our creeds. You know, a, a common understanding of the creed is the creed is not the totality of the Christian faith, but a summary of something larger. And the Catholic Catechism, uh, which is based upon the creed uh, as its chapters are broken down, puts it eloquently when it says, we do not believe in formulas, but in the realities expressed by those formulas, which faith allows us to touch. Now, sometimes 
you know, parishes, uh, you know, again, the, why we're doing an ongoing show on the creed is to help our listening audience and the people in the pew and all of us appreciate our faith. Sometimes, you know, people will think, well, what difference does it make? Why don't we just have this phrase, which was sent to me? This one, someone proposed, uh, they were at a gathering. This was the creed that was spoken. What if our religion was each other? If our practice was our life? If prayers are words? What if the temple was the earth? Its forests are church? If holy water, the rivers, lakes, and oceans? What if meditation was our relationship? If the teacher was life? If wisdom was self-knowledge? If love was the center of our being? Now, I would hope we'd never find that in any of our churches. That was by a yogi, I guess probably one of Father Connell's instructors at uh, the Bikram Yoga workshop. But we cannot have the Mass and the essential teachings of our faith lightly dismissed. Uh, it's so essential. And I think an effective way for us is to look at the creed humbly and see it as a gift that is offered to us, a gift so essential to the church that it captures, again, as we said, the creed is not the totality of the Christian faith, but a summary of something larger. Well, I, and of course, I think you could also say uh, that you know it's not a summary of of our. Uh, with a, uh, what did you say? He just said that. He just said that. <laughs> but, I, I think the creed is that. a belief in a, in a person, of course, and and that is that person is Jesus Christ. And one of the things that that what is, about the Father is a little inspired. What about the Holy Spirit? A little. Uh, I'm a decedist, I think. No, uh, one of the things I think that, that uh, is important to uh, re remind ourselves of is that when we're, when we're at Mass and we're saying the Nicene Creed, we're saying a statement of faith, a belief in uh, that generations, you know, 1,700 years worth of Catholics have been reciting and praying that the same creed, uh, I don't know, for me, that that's, uh, that's inspiring. All those... Uh, generations of Catholics going back so far in history. That's uh, G.K. Chesterton said that true democracy is found in the church because it gives a vote not only to the present generation that's alive, but to all the generations that have gone before it. So uh, that's a beautiful thing, as Father Connell said, thinking that we are reciting that faith that has been shared with us all the way back to the time of the creeds, but before as well, of course, all the way back to the time of Christ. Um, and I think as well, certainly the creed is not the totality of everything we believe, nor is it the totality of God. In other words, we're not saying this is all that can be said about God. Um, God is incomprehensible to us. Uh, we can never comprehend him completely or understand him completely. So, but these are, you know, the basic facts of this we know of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Rosary, we say the Apostles' Creed, and um, why, for again our listening audience, what would be, um, why do you think the Nicene Creed historically was placed in the Mass and not the Apostles' Creed? Because you have to say hell in the Apostles' Creed. Well, something you could use the Apostles' Creed, but again, the Nicene Creed is much fuller in as far as descriptive and doctrinally expressing who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is. So I just went through that, the Holy Spirit, um, as it is in the Nicene Creed, and the Apostles' Creed, we only have one line, I believe in the Holy Spirit, without telling us anything about who this Holy Spirit, whom we believe in, is. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the Nicene Creed, it goes into great detail. 
same could be said as far as what it has to say about Jesus Christ and the Nicene Creed as opposed to uh, the Apostles' Creed. It's a fuller because uh, there was because there was more of a controversy about who who Christ was at the time rather than who the Spirit was, huh? Uh, no, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in one way or the other. <laughs> I, I have a feeling no matter what I would have said, it would have been no. <laughs> as we uh, talk about the creed, maybe uh, speaking a little bit. Related, as Father uh, Kirst said, we, we don't mention the Eucharist in the Creed, and yet um, I think when we made the changes uh, in the Missal of 2011, um, people, there were some changes that had come in the Eucharistic prayers. Uh, and again, as we will be speaking about the Mass, right now we're talking a bit on the, on the Creed, but just briefly, um, with the Eucharistic prayers, just a brief overview, how did the church uh, come to the Eucharistic prayers that we pray? I know there's a development of them. There's a rediscovery of the Eucharistic prayer, the Roman canon. Uh, and just the last couple of minutes, Father Me, having been you at the Council of, of uh, the Second Vatican Council, uh, what, uh, why, why would people say, why so many Eucharistic why? prayers? Well, of course, there were many, many Eucharistic. In, in the early church, the bishops would come up with their own Eucharistic prayer, for that matter, and then only in time did it become more um, a set prayer. And certainly, uh, the Council of uh, Trent made sure that we had the, the Roman canon so that uh, it kind of brought in all of those various different variety prayers that were being used. So the Roman canon as we have, Eucharistic Prayer 1 is what's been used, um, even though we, the Roman canon dates itself all the way back to, in the writings of St. Ambrose, we hear of um, different statements of the Roman canon even at that time. But from the Council of Nice, or the Council of Trent until Vatican II, that was the Eucharistic prayer that we used. Then only in the Eucharistic, or in um, the Council of the Vatican Council was it decided or looked at of uh, broadening the Eucharistic prayers. So the second one was supposedly one that they believed came from Rome that was done by Hippolytus. But actually, the second Eucharistic prayer comes from uh, the Syrian church. And the third Eucharistic prayer was one that was kind of a honed down Eucharistic prayer one. And then the fourth Eucharistic prayer, so the four big ones, is one that was kind of based upon a prayer, Eucharistic prayer that was had been done by Saint Basil, um, and must and cannot be separated from the preface. Paganini, I think, was the one hmm. that did that one, who was uh, a theologian. Okay. Well, we uh, again, this is an ongoing reflection on the Creed and the Mass, and people write in, not just Mrs. Gina Vanelli from Endicott, Washington, about topics. Uh, we want to thank the Vickers for being here. And I mentioned at the show that we've taped before when the Vickers weren't here that we're getting competition for the western part of the state. Archbishop Sarton has sent me um, uh, a text that uh, some young priests want to have a show and they want to get in a ratings battle with us. So we will uh, up the ante and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. God bless. <laughs>